I think Miss Tiffany's at the back door waiting for y'all. <laughs> Thank you, Miss Libby. I appreciate that. Uh, Libby's helping me out this morning. We're going to be um, sharing just a moment of prayer uh, over these blankets um, or these prayer shawls. They're going to be going out, and, um, and we're just excited that they uh, that this is a new kind of a for me it's a newer ministry in our church. Uh, some folks have been doing it a while, but uh, we wanted to get involved. And uh, uh, one of the first churches that I was a part of that that um, that did this was First United Methodist Church in Moorhead City. And uh, they, they do a lot there with this. A group of ladies gets together every month, and uh, they uh, sit down, and they, they do the prayer shawls there. And what I like to share with people is that every, uh, the, the idea is that every uh, time you knit a part of that, that you're saying a prayer, or you're praying while you're doing it. And so these are full of what God has, uh, has ushered in through other people's prayers. And this morning, we're going to pray as a church over these, and I uh, pray that whoever receives them uh, receives the love that God has given them, just as Livia shared, that they can wrap this blanket around them and know they're wrapped in God's love and grace, and know that everyone is praying for them. So let's pray. Lord God, we just give you thanks uh, this morning for the labor of love that uh, you have shared with us, God. And you have shared with us that when we are given talents, when we're given uh, ways to, to share in uh, the grace and, and share in your ministry, God, we, we uh, are to use those talents for your kingdom, God. And there are those that have uh, taken time and taken their talents to give to you this morning. We pray over these prayer shawls this morning as they go out, these prayer blankets as they go out, uh, that, that those that receive them, Lord, receive the prayers receive the mercy and receive the love that we have for them, God. We ask that, uh, that they will know that when they wrap their, themselves around in that blanket that, that they're loved, that they're cared for, and that you are always with them. Even when times might seem bleakest, that you are there with them, that your, your rod and your staff comfort them in all of those times, Lord. And in times of joy, Lord, maybe they look at these, these, these blankets as joy as well, that they can know that you have been with them in the, the good and the bad. And God, I just ask that, um, that you continue to bless our church and ministry and the new ministries that we are able to be a part of and do. Uh, help us to expand our ministries. Help us to expand our reach in this world and continue to reach out in God's love as you have done so, God, to us, Lord. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. So as, uh, uh, thank you, Miss Libby. I appreciate that. Uh, this morning, as we uh, continue to worship God, I invite you to... Um, to uh, invite the ushers to come around as we open up this, uh, this uh, today's sermon uh, message that we um, receive God's word or God's uh, provision for us. Um, one of the things I do want to share with us is, uh, with you is that in your bulletin on the back each and every week we have a um, just a sharing of what our we, we call it God, our faithfulness to God and his and his love for us and how we can share in the world. Uh, something new this, this month that we added that we felt like would be important for you to know is that each month um, we actually share uh, in something that's called apportionments in our church. And to kind of share what apportionments do um, is the first, uh, the first really few years that this church was in existence at New Song, the apportionments paid for the pastor's salary. It paid for uh, even some of the other things that got this church up and running along with the other gifts from churches around our, our, uh, our state. Uh, recently, most recently, when the church went through some transition, um, the, the apportionments helped to pay again for a pastor's salary. 
and help pay for some other things, some grant monies helped us do some ministry here that we wouldn't have a chance to do otherwise. Uh, the apportionments are a way in ministry for us to be a minister to, minister, uh, ministry to the world. So here's another thing they do. Um, it's something that is, that, that's international. Uh, so part of our apportionments actually go to Africa. And Africa has brought forth a revival in our, in our world uh, in a different way. They are sending out people in, all throughout the nation, all throughout the land. And our, our apportionments have, have gone to help the, the ministers there receive an education. And then after they retire, actually re have a retirement. Uh, what f folks don't know is that whenever African pastors go into the ministry, they have to give up everything. And what that means is, is that most people actually, their, their, uh, their worth in those countries is based on land and farming. And once you give up your house and land to become a pastor, you don't go back to that place and expect to have that, that land and house back. It is no longer yours. It's no, even, you do not have a deed there. You lose that land. And so when they were retiring, when pastors were retiring or, or, or basically stopping preaching, and it's usually in their later years, uh, they didn't have any food to eat, they didn't have any water to drink. They didn't have a place to stay. And so we decided years ago that we would provide a retirement fund for them. And so our apportionments have paid for that retirement fund, and now it's fully funded. Um, our apportionments have paid for retirement funds for pastors who... Um, and, and even insurance for pastors that could not afford it. So we have uh, a real need in our country and also throughout the world for these. And so we wanted to make sure you knew that part of, a portion of your money goes to help paying for these apportionments every month and that what type of good they do. They have came, come back and blessed us at least twice, if not more, uh, during the ministry here at New Song. So I just give thanks for to God for what God's doing through those ministries in the United Methodist Church. Um, and it is, it is a blessing to be a part of the church that continues to try to find ways to expand the use of those monies in a way that can help reach people throughout the world. And, um, and so we, I just wanted to share that with you this morning through our, our finance team uh, who thought it was a good idea to do so. So um, anyhow, our, uh, our lesson, our, our ministry, our sermon this morning comes to us from uh, Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. Uh, so we're, we're in the sermon series called Revelation, and it's God's promises fulfilled. And Revelation begins um, by sharing a little bit about who God is and who Jesus Christ is, and how God always is with us, no matter what, that he is, the, he is in the middle of the lampstands of the churches, and he stands with us in all of our needs. And we're actually going through these letters to the churches, and we've learned a few things uh, that sometimes churches, uh, just like us, we don't always get it right. Amen? I mean, we don't. We need help. And so I felt like these churches, these letters to the churches could help us uh, to find ways that we can improve in our faith, in our ministry, in our reach into the world, but also help us to understand that the early church, even at the beginning of the early church, struggled in sin, in, in, in trying to figure out how, how to combat sin that was going on, how to continue to stay authentic in the world that was ever-changing. Uh, does, does it sound familiar to us right now, uh, thinking about the culture that we live in, where everything's always changing and everything is right in a way, that, that it's kind of the same thing that they're going through, that there's so many different what they call cults, not the occult, but a, they were called cults, that there were groups of religious things going on around them. 
uh, that everything was kind of right in its own way. As long as you were respectful for the Roman emperor, you were good. <laughs> if you started talking against the Roman Empire, you weren't so good. <laughs> and so we're, we're learning a little bit about what's going through these churches and, and how, it, um, how it affects them and how, how that being a faithful Christian in the midst of all this culture is changing and even in the midst of persecution uh, is actually changing uh, the way that they ha- are having to go about their business. Um, could you imagine being persecuted on a daily basis for your faith? We're very fortunate that we live in a place that we aren't. Uh, there are places even now, um, I was watching a recent video from a place called, uh, it's, a, it's a website that, ta- that highlights the underground church. Uh, particularly this was having to do with China, this, this video. And they had a box that was shipped to a group of believers in China. And when they opened the box, it was a box of Bibles. Now, these Bibles were in the language of the Chinese, and they actually were kind of in bad shape. But there were women and men crying because they actually had a copy of God's Word in front of them for once. There's places where it's a lot different than here. And these letters to this church are very real to some of these Places and, and, and understanding this persecution that's going on in the early church may help us understand things that may could take place in our lifetime. We don't know. And so I just hope that these letters will help us to understand a little bit about what it means to be faithful to our, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who is always faithful to us. And so uh, this message to this church in uh, Theatera uh, is a an awesome message to me that shares in the authenticity of faith. And I'm going to begin by reading, uh, reading through this letter, and we'll kind of break it apart and un- try to understand it a little bit better. So it says, To the angel of the church at Theotera write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burn- burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love, and your faith your service and perseverance, and you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her, I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her, out, cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead, then the, ch- the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will pray each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Theotera, that to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets... I will not impose any other burden on you, only to hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter, and he will dash them into pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. And thanks be to God. So we're, this angel is writing to this church in Theotera, and it, it, it's, a, it's amazing what has taken place. It seems like um, that this teaching that is opposed to the church has found its way again in another, another church. 
Uh, and and this, this is so prominent in this place that the woman that they, that they have brought out in this light to the letter is called Jezebel. Now, we're not sure if this is her real name. We're not sure if this is just pointing out that she is like Jezebel. Now, if you go back into the Old Testament, Jezebel was not someone that uh, you wanted to cross. Uh, and in fact, Elijah was, was one of the first people that crossed, or one of the, God's first prophets that crossed paths with Jezebel. And Elijah sh- shared with her that, you know, I will not bow to your God, there is only one true God. And, and if you remember the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal, Jezebel was a behind that. He was trying to, to basically get Israel to bow down to the, the, the god Baal. And uh, Baal was, uh, was this, this god that was, uh, was a, a, a violent god. He also, it also was a god that, that, that kind of imposed sexual immorality. It was totally against what the Jewish people or the Judas, Jewish people were taught, the Israelites were taught in the, in the, the desert. So you have this, this Jezebel of the Old Testament, and you hear this name, and you should make that connection that there's something big going on here. This is not just some small thing that's happening within the church, but this, this Jezebel is causing uh, sexual impurity and also uh, this, this impurity of and of self uh, throughout this church. It begins by talking about, though, it says, there, These are the words of God's Son whose eyes are fiery flame and whose feet are like bra- fine brass. So our Lord is the light of the world. Amen. All right, making sure we're awake, right? Our Lord is the light of the world. Amen. <laughs> and, and, and it says that, this, that God's eyes are like fire, and his feet are like a shiny brass. Is anybody getting a picture in their mind? He's a candle on a lampstand. He is a candle shining in the darkness. It's a reminder that God's truth shines light into the darkness and shines light and illuminates the things that are dark so that it can bring out the things that need to be purified. And so God's eyes, like fire, are seeing through what is taking place in this church. In other words, get ready because you're about to see what's happening and God hasn't lost sight of what is happening. So one of the things that I... I, I, I had a fortunate and probably the unfortunate thing of growing up was uh, knowing that my grandmother knew the Bible through and through. And uh, I could ask her anything, and she could probably, you know, mouth off about 16 different verses that would go along. Anybody have a grandma or a mom that could do that? Well, one of the things that my grandma instilled in me is that there was no place that you could go that God did not see (laughs) what you were doing. Because she knew when I was lying. I mean, did you ever have somebody in your life that knew when you were lying? I'm not a very good liar anyway. I mean, people, I, I wear the truth on my face, and, and people have always said that. But my grandmother, she would just start talking to me about, and I think she talked to me about the Scripture every time she caught me in a lie because she knew eventually I would be guilty, and I'd be like, all right, all right, this is what really happened, right? So one of the first things that ever happened to me, um, or one of the first things I remember her sharing with me is that, I was supposed to be in school, and I was, I had just gotten my license, I was 16, and this was back, I mean, folks, if you, you, if you can believe it, it was back whenever you went to school, you, if you had a truck, you had a gun rack in your truck, and you had your shotgun in your gun rack. I mean, this was normal back then, but the reason being is because most of the, most of the guys would come from uh, hunting that morning, and they didn't want to have to go back to the house 
and put their gun in the, you know, gun in the house, and they just carry it around. This was before all the stuff that took place with Columbine and all the school shootings. Now, things are not like that now. Uh, but I, had, uh, I was going by her house that morning in my truck, and she just happened to be on the front porch. I've been hunting in a field that was right next door to her house. Uh, and, and then that night, she called the house, and, and she said, Now, Joseph, she said, I could have swore I saw you this morning at 9 o'clock when you were supposed to be in school right by my house. I said, Well, Grandma, I don't think it was me. <laughs> you may have been mistaken. And she starts talking to me, and she says, and she, she brought forth one piece of scripture that I remembered that it says, uh, it says liar, <laughs> I'm not kidding you, she was, she was a Baptist, so I'm going to tell you. She said, liar, do you remember Joseph in Revelation where it says liars are going to be thrown into the pits of hell? I was like, all right, Grandma, it was me, it was me, I promise you, I was riding by your house this morning. <laughs> and she said, she said, well, look, she said, uh, and, and then she got, she started talking about my uncle who I, I always put up on a pedestal. She said, now your uncle skipped school too. She said, so please try not to skip any more school. <laughs> and anyhow, she was, she was a really awesome lady. Uh, but it reminded me of this, where she had eyes that could pierce you. She had truth that could pierce you. And if you know truth, it will set you free. And I always felt better when I told her the truth. I told her the truth about my wife before I told anybody else. I told her, I said, I said Mima, I said, I think I'm going to marry Tiffany. And she said, she just looks at me, she says, she's, she makes you a better person. She makes you a better person. So she was the first person that knew the truth about me, and it always set me free. And so God is, God is sharing it to this church that be ready. Um, if you're doing good, God's going to see that. If you're doing something that you're not, be ready because God's going to see through it. And it starts out by talking about who they were and how they are faithful. It says, I know your works, your love and faithfulness, your service and endurance. And I know that your works, the works that you have done are most recently are, are even greater than those you did at first. So in other words, you're, you, this church that they're in has gotten better over the years. It's done greater things. It, it showed endurance. It showed faithfulness. It showed love. It showed the things that Jesus has taught us in our life. So here is where I feel like is that we have to be careful. I think that, as I shared earlier this morning, sometimes we have to be careful not to be ready to eat some humble pie. Because when we start getting a lot of things right and everything's going awesome, we sometimes forget to do the simple things and we don't realize that things are changing so much around us that we may be about to fall off the edge of a cliff. And I think that that's where John is trying to share in this letter. He begins to share, hey, look, you're doing some great things, but this is something that is happening right in front of your eyes. Again, this culture that's in the middle of their town, that's in the middle of their pl the place that they're at, this, this, this culture that's surrounding them, just as it has the other cultures, is starting to weave itself into the church. And it says, but I have this against you, beginning at verse 20. You put up... You put up with that woman, and I love this, this particular version, you put up with that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. Now, somebody's really throwing it down when they're saying that, right? Uh, it, it's like whenever you, you uh, uh, in the South, when you say something to a, a lady and she says, excuse me, in a certain tone, you already know it's too late, right? 
You already know it's too late. This is the tone that's taking place in John's letter right now. He's saying, you have put up with that woman long enough, Jezebel, but this is what I'm going to share with her. You allow her to teach, to mislead my servants into committing sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols. So the church has allowed this. Now, whether this is a single person or whether this is multiple people, and we've heard that, that the Nicolaitans are in other churches, and we're actually going to hear that in just a moment in this letter. Are we sometimes guilty of allowing things to make its way into the church without saying things sometimes? I think we are. I, was reading, I actually heard this morning on the radio, um, and it kind of went right along with what we're talking about. There's been a recent book that talks about uh, making sure that you have uh, prepared yourself and, and, and prepared your life uh, to, for marriage and to marrying the right person, but also to putting your life into that right person and doing it the right way. And uh, these two uh, people were talking about this on the radio this morning early, and they said, they said that over 50% of people who are getting married in churches now, in churches, in the church, over 50% of the people who are getting married or living together before they get married. And, and as leaders, as a leader, we've allowed this and not really addressed it. Not really addressed it in a way that I feel like is important for folks to understand what it means. And this is a, it goes right along with the letter how it is a sexual impurity, it's a sexual immorality. Uh, in, in old terminology, it's fornication. Uh, but what it means is that you are not sa- you're not you're not preparing yourself for marriage like you should, and, and people are living together. And it, and one of the things it does is it takes a piece of that of that that the vows that you're saying away right at the get go because it's saying, look, I'm only going to dabble in this until it gets bad, and then I'm going to be ready to take take it when things start getting tough. I'm going to leave ship. I'm going to jump away. I don't really want to fully commit to you just yet. Now, how, much, how awesome is that to provide that doubt at the beginning of a relationship? I mean, I, I can't imagine to, if, if that doubt is brought into a relationship, how that doesn't affect it and how that doesn't affect the, the relationship that's there. And that's just one of the teachings that have been brought into our church and is allowed to make its way into the midst. And we now have people that feel like it's better to live together than it is not to live together before they get married. It makes no sense to me. I, I'm very thankful that that was instilled in me and my pastors and my parents. I mean, Tiffany and I, we, we, we dated for two years. I, I, I finally... Uh, asked her to marry me, and we stayed uh, engaged for another two years before we actually got married, and we never moved in together. Um, it, we, we prepared our house, but we, uh, we, we knew where we were going to live when we were getting married, so like a three, three months ahead of time, she started getting her stuff over there, but she never stayed over there. We made sure that we were uh, living in separate places and not going to the same place together at the same time because we wanted to make sure that we were saving ourselves and preparing our lives for what the special time it is to be married. 
And, and I'm very thankful that that was instilled in my pastor. My pastor, he's a very, he was a very funny guy. He was very straightforward. And he says, you know, he looks at us. He says, now look, he says, I know that, I know when you're married you're, or when you're dating someone and you're ready to get married and all that kind of stuff, temptation is there. <laughs> he said, I'm not naive. He said, but look, the awesome thing is 90% of your temptation is going to be gone when you get married. <laughs> you know? And I, that was just kind of an aha moment to me. And then a, a nice thing to look forward to that all the struggle that you've had is going to going to be gone that that struggle is going to be gone and he was careful to share with us that there are other temptations that will take place once you're married and uh, he shared very very um, casually but also very very straightforward that when you are choosing to live together before you're married that you're choosing to say that there is an out to this relationship at the very beginning and that is not something that I feel like the church ought to be teaching in a relationship that's brought forth in a covenant between you, your, your spouse, and God. And I'm not saying that when it doesn't go right and things happen and, and there, that there's not grace. I'm just saying that we need to teach our kids, our teenagers, our young adults, that there is a way that God wants us to go about in our life. And if we don't start doing that, we're going to look nothing like the church anymore in certain ways. And even in all ways and in, in other areas in, in, in the church, we're going to start looking everything like the culture we're living in. And, and that's not what God has ever taught, I don't think. And I'm not being a legalist here. I'm just saying that we need to start standing up for what is being taught in Scripture. So it, it says that there is this definite sexual immorality that's going on. There's this, they're eating food sacrificed to idols. And it, it says, I gave her time to change her heart and life, but she refuses to change her life of prostitution. Now, this is bringing out the sexual immorality that's going on in the church. So she's teaching them, not only is it okay to be sexually impure, but she's teaching people it's okay to go and do as everybody else does. She is a prostitute, is pointing that out. But she's also teaching that that sexual, is sharing that sexual immorality is that you are not being faithful to your spouse. You're not being faithful to who you are as a church, as the Christian. And it's okay to be incorporated into that culture. And that's where, when we get further into it, it talks about this, this, uh, the, the secret, uh, the, knowing the secrets of Satan. What it's sharing there is that you are actually taking steps, and you, have, you feel like that your faith is so strong that you can play with fire and not get burned. But you're falling into fire all the time. In other words, you can go and do everything that the culture around you is doing, and it's not affecting your, your faith. Folks, it is. If you, if you go into that, if you get, go deep into a culture and you start living that culture out, eventually it sinks its way into your life. I'll give you an example. Um, years ago, I mean, probably up to when I was almost in college, I made it a point not to cuss. I mean, I, I really did. Uh, anything I said, I made sure it was clean. And I, the words of my mouth, I wanted to be clean, and, and I wanted to be a reverence to God. Well, then I got engrossed into a couple of different work experiences uh, that people around me did not have that type of restraint. So there was loose tongues, there was things said all around me. And, and I, I started, I was like, you know, well, okay, it's okay to say this word every now and then. And then I would add on more to it, I'd add on more to it, and eventually... I started sounding just like the other people around me. 
until someone in that same culture came up to me who was not Christian and said, I thought you said you were a follower of Jesus, but you sound just like us. That hit me deep. That hit me to the core. I had failed. I repented. I had a lot of conversations at that point to talk to, um, to, to that, that person and share with them uh, that you know, I had failed, and, and we all failed. Uh, and and he, uh, you know, we, we had deep conversations after that. I still don't know, you know what his relationship with God was about, but it was amazing that someone who didn't follow Christ came up to me and said, that I'm sounding just like everybody else in here, and he missed, he actually missed what I used to sound like. Isn't that crazy? I started sounding and looking like the culture I was in. When we get infused too much into something and we don't realize that we're looking just like those things, we need someone to call us out. We need a John writing a letter to us. We need someone to share with us that we need to change. And it doesn't leave this, um, it doesn't have this like roses and rainbows coming up. I mean, it doesn't leave you to believe that everything's going to be okay for those that follow and, and, and lead in the right paths. And in fact, John leaves it. He says, for, for the rest of you who don't follow <laughs> this, these teachings of Jezebel, and this is verse 24, uh, you haven't learned the so-called deep secrets of Satan. I won't burden you with anything else. Just hold on to what you have until I come. It's not saying that they don't have burdens. They're being persecuted. They're, they're, they do not have, I mean, they are being persecuted in their faith in this area. The Roman church is doing, or not the Roman church, the Roman empire is doing this. But it's saying, I'm not going to add any burden to you. I'm going to make sure that you are living, just hold on fast. Hold on to what you're already going through, but nothing else is going to be coming your way. But hold on tight. What, the reason I like this is because there's a lot of times we feel like when we're doing things, when we're following Christ, when we're reading our Bible, when we're, we're praying to the Lord, when we're actually trying to have a relationship with God, and it's even times where we feel like it's a struggle, and we feel like, hey, look, everything should be going great, right? That's not the case. One of my friends said it the best. He says, when we're doing this, when we're actually following Jesus, when we're reading our Bible, when we're praising the Lord, when things seem to be going right, the devil's in the background doing push-ups. He's getting ready. <laughs> there is always this moment where we have to have, we're going to be faced, come face-to-face face with a challenge, and we have to either push through that challenge and face it, or we have to turn, we're going to turn and run and be scared. But that's not what God wants us to be. God wants us to follow him no matter how things are looking and continue to be faithful even in the hardships of times where faith seems like it's the hardest to be. So these folks are going to find themselves still struggling, but if they follow through with the truth, that they will, they will, show, they will, they will see the rewards because here's where God gets straightforward with things. He says, or John gets straightforward. He says, to those who are merged victorious, keep my practices until the end. I will give you authority over the nations. To rule the nations with an iron rod, to smash them like pottery. Just as I've received authority from my Father, I will give them the morning star. And if you hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. So in other words, if you keep my practices until the end, it, it, there's two different translations. One says, he rules with the iron scepter. Another one actually says, I will give you an iron scepter so that you can rule over the nations. In other words, you will be rulers in this world in my namesake. 
I will give you authority. I will give you power. I will give you the ability to be the, the people that I've called you to be. In other words, hold on and you're going to receive this reward, but you've got to stay fast in your faith. And then it talks about this star, the morning star. I'm going to give you the morning star. Now, Jesus is called in the Psalms the morning star. He is the morning star. And in other words, that God is going to give you Jesus, not just Jesus, but Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. God is going to give you eternal life. Hold on, and you will have eternity in your hands. So I was looking through this, and I realized something. I realized that this church is struggling, this church is hurting, and this church is, but this church is living out their faith even in the midst of struggles. We're not far from this, where this church is at, and this is at the very beginning of what God's movement was going on and how God was changing the world. And so I want to share something with you this morning. Even in the midst of our times where we feel like that the church is not doing exactly right, God offers grace. God, it is not, we, we, are, we are called to be a people of God who follow Christ, but when we fail, God offers grace and says, look, I'm going to help you try again. And, and that's the beauty of being a part of this church. We're not going to have to get it perfect. I don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect. It's Christ who is perfect. Amen? And so as the church, when we follow Christ, we are the body of Christ. We are made perfect in Christ. And my flaws are made up by your strengths. And your strengths are made up by my flaws. That kind of thing. And so we need, to, we need each other in this walk. So the, the next thing I realized is that when we are living out in, our, in a culture that seems to be changing around us, sometimes those changes are a pushback to where we have failed to be the church at the get-go. That we, they're, they're, starting to share, they're starting to share things that, that go against the church, but the church has not had a voice even, even from, for the longest time. So now you hear the voice of those that are against what the church is teaching are. But we have to be strong in our faith and, and be vocal about who we are in Christ Jesus in this world. And, and the, the last thing I realize in this passage is that the people of this, of this town, of this place, they're, they're, they're needing to hear a, 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 these words of truth to help, them, help guide them out of this, this darkness, to help them see that lampstand that's shining in the midst of their church, the, the lampstand who is Christ Jesus our Lord. So how are we as a church going to do that? How are we going to be a light to those in the world around us? How are we going to see that light in the midst of us and start being the church that we're called to be? in the midst of this world and this culture that seems to be changing around us. When my wife was reading last night um, how culture is changing us, and, and, and it's not just culture, it's things that have been instilled in our culture. Um, one of, there's a couple of articles that we were reading that just kind of hurt my spirit because I see that, um, that it, it, it's just kind of an example of how things have changed so much to, to be counter what God has created us to be that we are seeing our children being affected in a drastic way. So for one thing is, is that we have been called by God to have recreation. In other words, you know, when God rested on the seventh day, it was not just a time of rest. The, the word is actually, is actually related to the word recreation or recreation. In other words, when we rest, it gives us a, tr- a chance to be renewed in God's spirit, to, to focus on God. 
Well, recreation has been taken out. Like the, the amount of time for recreation has been dwindled down over the years. And now children are actually experiencing greater amounts of mental disabilities or mental, mental uh, anxiety because they are having less time for recreation. It, there is a drastic connection with this. And they're, they're saying that we need to have more opportunity for children just to be children. <laughs> I mean, imagine that. <laughs> to allow a child to play and have an imagination and enjoy life instead of letting them just have work all the time. I mean, we know how miserable work is all the time. How many people like all the time going to work every single day? Raise your hand if you do. You like going to work every day, man? All, okay, all right, man. Well, you, you, all right. It's never stressful? It's, I'm, just, I'm just asking, man. I need your job if it's never stressful. But we know it's stressful, right? You know, you can like your job, but there's times where it's stressful, and there's times you need to get away, right? So we got we need to get away from the stress that is of everyday life, everyday work, and kids need that in our life. And, and the more play and the more recreation, the more uh, imagination they can use, the better off they are with less mental issues. And later on in life, it, 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 things like anxiety, uh, things like depression, things, other things that go on in their life. Another thing that I've heard uh, that affects our teenagers that we were talking about last night and how culture is changing, uh, that 10-year-olds that now, 10-year-old boys, I, 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 this is a shock, uh, this article said that 10-year-old boys are making up 22% of the, the viewings of pornography on our, on our internet right now. Ten-year-olds. And if you don't believe that's a problem, then you're living in uh, your own world. Um, I had a conversation with one of our um, young adults one time who just questioned my <laughs> thoughts on this because I said it's a, it's a major problem where there's, there's more morality problems with it than just viewing it and, and just uh, lust. And and they, they, they asked me, so what do you think about it? If it's just lust, then I have problems with that anyway. I said, well, here's a couple of things. I said, first off, it's teaching you that, that there is no intimacy, true intimacy anymore that is connected with a human body and, and things that go with, with, um, with marriage. And then the second thing that it's teaching us is that it's okay to pay people to watch them have sex. I'm just being honest with you because that's what's happening. It is a form of prostitution to me. And so when you have that type of thing, when you actually look at it in that way that you're paying to see that, so it becomes that, then it takes that, it, it makes that way of talking about it a little bit more complicated for folks, and you see it in a new light. And he never realized that it could be that. And it was amazing to see the change that took place. He wanted to change, he wanted to make those strides to be a better person and not to be connected with that anymore and it, it is a pull in our culture and, and people are saying it's it, it's more and more accepted now and and to me it's it's taking things and change it's changing everything to do with our culture when it comes to intimacy when it comes to marriage when it comes to people uh, having relationships that God has intended to be and so we really need to be the church that's vocal about who about the right things, and not in a way that's, con that's, that's going to tear people apart. Not, that's not what I'm saying. But we need to take a stand when people are needing guidance, but give them clear guidance of, of how, they can, how they can live a life that's uh, that in a relationship with God that's one of purity, of purity of heart, of one that is living a life that God is that's pleasing to God's eyes. 
And, and if we don't do that in our culture, then we're going to see that our church is going to start looking more and more like the people around us, and our voice is going to be coming less and less. And then we're just going to be a cult <laughs> instead of a true church. And I would rather us be a faithful church in, in the midst of this than anything else. So this morning, I just invite you, as you, uh, as you are with me, just to ponder ways that we can uh, be a voice in the midst of this wilderness, just like Theotero has been called to be a voice in the midst of their culture. How can we stand strong? How can we be a church that's faithful in the midst of this? And this morning, we're also offered grace. And we don't get it right. We won't always get it right. Uh, there are times where we may be like the other church that we go too far one way and we forget our first love. But we're reminded of God's grace this morning. We're reminded of God's amazing grace that's always with us. We got the grace that God uh, will never leave us even if we do uh, get it wrong. And this morning I invite you this, to, to pray with me in ways our church can be a, a greater voice in our world, a, gr- a voice that will share God's love but share God's truth too that we can be a balance of that in this world that can share in a way that, that people will say, I know they love me because they love me enough to accept me for who I am, but don't want me to stay that way. Because God doesn't want us to stay that way. He says, I love you, you're a child, you, you, I love you the way, I, the way you are, but I love you enough to know that you can be better than what you are. Because I made you that way. Let's pray. God, we just give you thanks. This morning, that... You have given us the ability to love you and for you to love us, but also for us as a people that you have called us into better things, to greater things. Um, And Lord, we just ask that you can help us to be the church in a way that really truly sets us apart from the world, and that in this world that we are living in, that you can help us to shine light in the midst of darkness. Uh, to be able to shine your truth and share your truth in a way uh, that, that cheers people that, that they are loved, but also that they, uh, that they should turn to you and away from the things that may be causing them uh, to not be a part of you and, and to not have a relationship with you, God. Lord, help us to be that voice in this world around us. And Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.